Hi, everybody, and welcome to Skin Connections, the podcast. I'm your host, Gay Wardle. In Skin Connection, I interview some of the most amazing thought leaders, influencers, and educators in our industry and talk to them about everything skin and science. Today, we have the amazing Chisa Westcar. Chisa is a university qualified nutritionist and skin specialist. Her unique holistic approach to total well-being has a particular focus on gut health. Skin conditions, weight management, lethargy and bloating are just some of the health concerns Chisa works with daily. Chisa has multiple impressive qualifications under her belt, which include a master's degree in human nutrition, an advanced diploma in nutritional medicine, advanced training in skin health, a Bachelor of Skin Science Dermal Therapies, Sedesco and iTech Beauty Therapy Diplomas, and Advanced Remedial Massage Diploma. With those qualifications, just amazing. Seeing many in our industry either mistreating or avoiding treatment on darker skins, today Chisa joins us to share how we should be tackling our darker skin clients, the limitations of treating a darker skin, and everything you need to know to treat a high Fitzpatrick with proficiency. So I'd like to welcome the amazing Chisa Westcar, someone that I've admired for so, so long. And I've done your courses, Chisa. I just love what you teach and the information that you give. So I'm so blessed and excited to be um, doing this podcast with you. So welcome. How are you? <laughs> hey, I'm really, really well. And can I tell you how excited I am to be interviewed by you? I was thrilled when I first um, came across your podcast. I, um, I, I just think that what you do for the industry is incredible. I don't know where you find the time or the energy, but you just keep giving back and giving back and I adore you. I've also admired you from afar for a very, very long time and I'm very, very proud to call you my friend. Uh, I am as well. And, you know, all the same sentiments to you, Jess, <laughs> I've got to tell you. Now, I've heard your story um, a few times now and how you got started in this in this career it's really interesting and I'd love you to share that if you don't mind about how you got started what got you going in this career quite interestingly it was not a career that I ever thought that I was going to get into um, you would have heard that I come from a family of lawyers and doctors and as children we were only ever given two choices you were either going to be a doctor or a lawyer um, I come from a family where my brother, my sorry, my father's brothers and sisters are either doctors or judges, and their kids are all doctors. My dad's a barrister, and so with the five kids that he had, he had mapped out our, our career paths for us. But I got to the end of high school, and I actually, we were living in Papua New Guinea at the time, and my dad, as a young person, would take with me being a young person, would take me to court with him and I'd watch him in court. And so he was grooming me to, to get into the law. And he said to me, and you'll stay here in Papua New Guinea and I'll, I'll groom you. And hearing those words made me quickly run to start looking at universities that I could apply to in Australia. I found a university where they accepted me to do a Bachelor of Business Studies. And I'll never forget telling my dad, of my choice. He called a family meeting and he sat all of my siblings down to tell them 
of my decision and to tell them that I was bringing shame on the family. That's how drastic it was, Gay. And he wanted to know from them what their opinions were of me choosing to do a Bachelor of Business Studies. And my sister, who is a doctor, I've got two brothers who are lawyers, and they all said, well, and we were all young at the time. I was just obviously entering into uni. And they said, well, if that's what she wants to do, she should be able to do it. So he didn't get any support from them. But he said to me, if you decide to go ahead with this, you're on your own. So I packed my bags and I went to Ballarat. Wow. <laughs> of all places, Ballarat. And, uh, yeah, I had an study and I just, yeah, I, I did it. So I finished my Bachelor of Business Studies and then he thought, okay, well, she's done a business degree. Maybe she'll get into IT or something. Um, when I finished my degree, I actually went over to the UK, you know, the working holiday visa thing that we usually do as Aussies, went across to the UK and was fascinated with how much more people of colour there were in the UK. I was born in Australia and I'll, I'll add that to my story shortly, but just, just so much choice so much more choice um, I sort of thought was available there for, for people of color so I decided that I was going to do a beauty therapy course but it wasn't my first choice I actually wanted to do a hairdressing course because for a very long time back here in Australia there was nothing for dark-skinned people in terms of hair care makeup skincare there was nothing you'd go into david jones or maya and you'd look for lipsticks and all they had were pastel shades there was no foundation i remember when i was at university at, at university in ballarat sharing a, a little flat with my flatmate we were in the mall and a mary Kay consultant stopped us and asked us whether we would like her to come to see us and maybe perform a facial on us and show us some products and because we were two little church mice <laughs> with hardly any money to rub together, we, 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 we said yes. So she comes to our home and she's spending a lot of time on Maylene, my flatmate, and, you know, she'd done the facial and she's showing her all these products and putting all these um, different um, makeup, makeup on her. And I'm sort of waiting for my turn and I finally ask whether she's going to do the same to me. And she says, look, I'm so sorry, I'm so embarrassed, but all I have are these colours and they were all pastels. I recall my brother going to a hair, um, to a barber, asking to have his hair cut, and they didn't know how to cut black hair. And so in my mind, I wanted to do a hairdressing course first and foremost. But going to the UK and seeing that they had these beauty therapy colleges where you had people from all races attending, I decided I was going to do that. So I come back home and my father thinks I'm going to maybe do something in IT and I inform him that, no, I'm going to do beauty therapy. And his words to me were, I think you've lost your mind. <laughs> you have just finished studying and now you want to learn how to clean people's feet. How, how am I going to tell my siblings? How am I going to explain that you're a beautician? And he spat those words at me. But what's really interesting, Gay, is... And maybe it's because I'm child number two. So my sister sort of did what she was told. I, I think, am more the rebel in the family. And I decided that I was going to go to the UK and do my beauty therapy course. And I was actually gone for seven years. I was gone from Australia for seven years. But part of that was me working on cruise ships. I then went to the States and did a hairdressing course. 
So my plan was with my beauty therapy, my hairdressing, that I'd come back to Australia and set up a, a day spa. That, that was what I had in mind and would also do hair. Seven years later, when I finally arrived back, I'd sort of stopped off in Papua New Guinea and I'd set up a little mobile business and I actually looked after the Aussie wives of these guys in the army who were based in PNG. So I would go to their home. I had a little mobile business and I'd go to their homes and do manis and pedis and massage and all of that. And um, finally decided to come back in the year 2000. And when I got back, there were spas everywhere and I didn't have enough money to set up a spa. So the next thing that I then did was look for Sedesco Colleges in Sydney. And I found the Strand College of Beauty Therapy. And I went, I rang up and told them that I had a Sedesco qualification and they asked me to come in and I had a chat and I left with a job to teach. So it was, yeah, by sheer luck that I became a beauty therapy teacher or trainer. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Just to ask, how proud was your dad of you? No, not at all. No, not, <laughs> not, 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 it hadn't happened. No, he wasn't proud of me at that point because I was still in the beauty industry. But then after being uh, with the Strand for two years, I then moved into Dermalogica and started to train with Dermalogica. And I loved that. I was there for two years. It was only when I moved back to the Strand as principal that he then began to relent a little bit because, okay, she's college principal. But, but then I left the Strand after a year and found an amazing opportunity with advanced skin technology. You would know advanced skin technology. Yes, absolutely. And yeah. I was with them for 11 years. I and I started as state trainer, then I became national and global trainer. That was really when he became proud, when I started to speak at conferences and when I started to train the, the doctors, yes, with our products, because at least he could then say, oh, she, she's teaching doctors. <laughs> <laughs> she's training doctors. She's speaking at medical conferences. So, yes, it, it started. And I think that one of the things that really sort of galvanised me and, and, and just kept me sort of pushing and pushing was to prove to him that even though I hadn't taken the path that he wanted me to take, that I loved what I was doing and I could still become successful. But I think, yeah, it was when I did my master's in nutrition that, and I was able to talk to him about his diabetes. My dad was diagnosed with diabetes in his thirties and living in Papua New Guinea, he moved us to PNG when we were very young, um, living in PNG and just eating healthy food and him exercising, it was controlled. He comes back to Australia. He was there for 40 years. He comes back to Australia, back to Melbourne, and he finds a diabetes counsellor or educator. And she proceeds to tell him that, well, he can have alcohol and he can have soft drink. And, you know, there's always Diet Pepsi and all of these foods that he had no interest in, my dad was told about. So I remember coming back home to visit and there's a big bottle of Pepsi on the table. We, we, we didn't grow up drinking soft drink right we're not allowed big bottle of pepsi on the table diet pepsi and i remember saying dad what's this and he says chi chi come and sit down let me educate you he says and he tells me about this diabetes educator who had told him that pepsi was okay and he was actually the reason why i did my master's in, in human nutrition he was the start of it that along with me obviously finding that within our industry that you couldn't always get the results you were after for your clients using topicals and machinery and I wanted to know more, my dad was my galvanizing force. 
can I tell you, it was when I was able to sit down with him and really educate him on, you know, why these foods were wrong and what he should be eating that I'll never forget this. He said to me, out of all of my children, you have made me the most proud because you wouldn't accept help from me. You wouldn't follow the path that I knew would take you to success. You chose to forge your own path. He says, and in doing that, you've shown me that there are other ways than what we traditionally expect from our children to, to you know, to create a, a career and a, and a lifestyle. And, and I'll never forget that. So, um, yes, I, I came to it. I came to it, I think, out of the fact that there was really nothing for people of colour in Australia wanting to, to, to learn more to then bring it back. But then in a very convoluted way, it took me on a different direction. But, um, yeah, where I am, I couldn't be happier. That's an absolutely beautiful story. And um, I'm sure your dad, when he gave you those words, you know, that would have been a very emotional moment. I mean, gosh, I'm mm. rolling up with tears now. Yeah, it was. Think about it was. that. It was just beautiful and incredible. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, when we talk about um, skin and how we get started and, we, and that story of yours, but what is your passion? What's your passion for um, treating skin? Where's your love? Oh, my gosh, gay. <laughs> That's a very big, big question because oh, no. <laughs> like, like you, it's imparting knowledge, isn't it? It's empowering people through knowledge. And, you know, I see, I see what you've done. I've seen what you've created. I've heard you speaking at conferences and you're exactly the same. You know, you've got your, your academy, the courses that you run. You want to, I guess, inject everybody with the same enthusiasm and love for the skin that you have. And I'm the same. And I remember when I was a trainer at um, AST, what I loved even more was educating therapists on the difference between a dark complexioned person and a fair complexioned person when it came to treating the skin. You don't treat them the same. And so I guess my passion is really empowering therapists to know as much as they can to help all clients that come in front of them and whether it be you know talking about nutrition and how nutrition impacts whether it's well, I'm talking about poor nutrition here how nutrition impacts inflammatory skin conditions how good nutrition can actually really help in managing those inflammatory skin conditions um, so there's a the nutrition component but there's also respecting skins that may be different to yours but not fearing them knowing that you can create some amazing results for, for everybody if you expand your knowledge base so that you understand the nuances when it comes to treating different skins. And so I guess it's imparting knowledge and empowering empowering therapists, really. Yeah, I love Chisa. I love the fact that you combine nutrition with mm. treatments. And I think, you know, for a long, long time, you know, people were just treating the skin topically and just looking at it and just not really understanding how to really get to the a great result by looking internally at what's going on and but, but gay we didn't know we didn't know any better you know back in the day it was just topicals it was just different types of creams and then we moved from our beauty type products into what we considered to be more 
active and we called them cosmeceuticals and because of their activity we were able to get some degree of change technology also changed you know we went from high frequency and galvanic <laughs> machines you know to lasers and light-based treatments so technology has moved and it's it's an amazing industry to be in is it not oh it's very very exciting <laughs> yeah so you know with um Fitzpatrick darker skin colors mm. you know we always want what we don't have and you've got the most beautiful skin, it's, it's glowing, it's shiny, it's healthy. You know, um, what does it mean to have a darker complexion? I know you've talked about that, you know, when we first started this podcast, but a little bit. What, but what does it mean to have a darker uh, Fitzpatrick skin tone? It's interesting because I think it's only really been in my adult years that I have really fallen in love with my skin colour. I remember being in primary school. I mean, I was born in here in Australia. My dad moved us to PNG when we were very young, but PNG was an Australian colony at the time. So it was like Darwin. It was like a, an Aussie outpost, but all the teachers were Aussie. The banks were run by Australians. So it was like growing up in Australia, really. And I used to come home and put a peg on my nose, a oh, peg God. on my nose to try and get it a bit more pointy. I used to hate my lips because they were called big fat lips for kissing, big fat African lips for kissing. I used to be teased about my lips. And it was just, yeah, it was, it, you really didn't feel empowered being in the minority. Um, I am fortunate and lucky enough to say that I have never had anyone verbally abuse me or sort of hurl racist, you know, sort of negative um, words at me. But I remember in, in Ballarat, I'd go to birthday parties of, you know, girls that were at uni with me and a party might be in a pub and all the blokes are there watching footy. And as soon as I walk in, they all turn and stop and stare. And of course I'm making it mean, you know, okay, well, she's different, you know, you know, all of that. Um, so there's always been, I guess, um, when I was younger, there was a lot of a, a lack of confidence because I was different but I think that as I've as I obviously have grown older and I've traveled the world and um yeah I I, I recognize how beautiful my skin is I recognize how beautiful it is to have melanated skin obviously there's a lot of politics associated with it but um, I feel that I've grown to be a very confident person who is confident in herself um I uh, when we talk about dark skin in the industry I, I think that therapists are scared of treating dark skin because they don't know what to do with it they are maybe a little bit intimidated by it they're scared they may damage it when I was teaching for advanced skin technology I would ask when we're talking about maybe a pigmentation treatment I would always give a little scenario where I would talk about two women being the same age one being a phototype one, the other being a phototype six, coming into a clinic to see you. They've never worn sunscreen. They've never done anything with their skin. They have the usual signs of, of sun damage. So the dark skin person has pigment and maybe a bit of a, but I would ask them, I would actually say to them, what do you think you would see on these two skins? Which of these two skins do you think would be a tougher skin? And they would always say the darker skin. The darker skin is the tougher skin. They would always say that automatically. And there is a perception that, oh, well, you know, a dark skin sort of originates from a very hot country, so it must be a tough skin. 
But the darker the skin, it's actually the opposite. It's the more fragile the skin. And it's more fragile because you can do the most damage to a dark skin, right? But these, we're not taught. We're not taught about how to treat anything but a Caucasian skin. In beauty therapy, all we were taught was, you know, skin conditions as they appear on Caucasian skin. I don't know how many people would know what psoriasis looks like on a dark skin, you know, or even with rosacea, we were taught that rosacea is a condition um, also referred to as the Celtic curse because it appears in fair skinned, fair eyed, fair haired people. Rosacea happens right across the board in all phototypes, right? But the darker skins have kind of been left out of the conversation. The research has not included the darker skins. So I guess my mission is to try and bring awareness, you know, um, to the fact that you can treat everybody. You just need to know and understand the, the differences and the nuances, really. Absolutely, Chisela. Just a couple of things there. You know, people pay a lot of money to have those enlarged <laughs> Now they do. I know. It makes me laugh. It makes me laugh. Pay thousands of dollars to have those lips. And I, yeah. I had a guy. I had a guy at a conference actually stop me uh, when we were setting up with AST. He, a gay guy. He comes up to me and he goes, "Are they real? Are your lips real?" And I just looked at him. He goes, "They are, aren't they?" Bitch, he says to me, and then he minces off. Killed me. Killed me. So hilarious. But yeah, love it. I've got. Um, I've got a little granddaughter. She's um, half El Salvadorian, half you know, Australian, yeah. Caucasian, and um, her skin is going to be quite dark as she gets older. Yeah. And we, um, she has eczema. So mm. we've got those challenges of making sure that, you know, we don't lose the colour from her skin mm. when she develops the eczema. So but also with that gay, also with the eczema, what happens also is that she will then have the PIH from the eczema, right? Yes. So it's managing the PIH because that can make a dark skin look a lot um What's the word I can use? It makes eczema look worse in a dark skin because you've got the pigmentation associated with it as well. It's not just the eczema, but it's pigment. So yeah, she's lucky she's got you. Oh, she's, <laughs> she's got these beautiful dark eyes and dark oh, hair. Just oh. beautiful, just beautiful. So could you, um, what treatments do you think are suitable for treating a dark skin? What sort of treatments, modalities could be used? Hmm, well, it depends on what they come in with, really. But I, I think the most important thing is... First of all, just recognizing that you need to handle a dark skin a lot more gently than a lower phototype, right? If someone comes in with, let's say, acne, I know that there are therapists who are scared of salicylic acid. Salicylic acid is actually excellent on a dark skin with acne because salicylic acid is anti-inflammatory. But they feel, they, they feel that the heat that, that salicylic acid generates will cause PIH. Before you would go in and do a treatment like that, you would, however, have to prep the skin at home on a pigment inhibiting serum, at least. I will always put my clients on some vitamin A. I'll put them on some hydrators. I'll put them on um, some tyrosinase inhibitors. So I'll give them some home care to prep with. And on a higher phototype, unlike a phototype, say one, two, three, where two weeks is enough, I would be prepping them for up to a month. So three weeks to a month on my little cocktail that includes a tyrosinase inhibitor. And then I bring them in. So acne, salicylic acid, 20%, perfect as a course of treatments. Uh, excuse me. So 
if you've got someone who has acne scarring, once you have treated the acne, the person has acne scarring, needling is amazing. So collagen induction therapy is amazing on a higher phototype, but they, they need to be prepped. I'll never forget sitting at a conference and someone in the industry who was working for a needling device company saying to the, the crowd that needling was great for all phototypes, including up to six, because it was colorblind. They were the words he used. Needling is colorblind. I he love says, that. <laughs> <laughs> he says, he said, unlike lasers that generate heat, needling doesn't. And my hands shot up so fast. And I said, you say it's colorblind. I actually don't agree with that. Because when you needle a skin, you're inducing inflammation. Sure. And as part of that inflammatory response, you are going to get PIH in a higher phototype. But a lot of people were hanging on to his every word and they were treating higher phototypes, needling them without first prepping the skin or using a pigment inhibitor. So what would you have? You would then have the PIH that resulted as a result, you know, from that. So there are modalities that can be used, needling, chemical peels. And when I say chemical peels, I don't tend, I mean, things like resorcinol have sort of, you know, have been replaced by um, peels that are less aggressive. But salicylic acid, lactic acid, retinol, you know, they all make for great peeling agents. Needling is a great modality. Um, even when it comes to lasers and IPL, I remember going to a conference and this man was trying to convince me that he could do IPL on my skin color. So, so there's, a real, there's a real lack of understanding, right? And I guess that's where the fear comes from. The fear comes from people being scared of making mistakes or causing long-lasting damage. Um, when it comes to lasers, uh, 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 an NDAG, 1064 nanometer uh, at wavelength is, is very effective on dark skin. But I would I'd always um, prep the skin first and I'd use obviously a much lower fluence. Absolutely. And I think like... One of the things that I find, Chisa, is, and that's why I love chatting with you and, and um, getting your take on this, is that we have these people, these doctors, that are deemed as being, you know, higher, have all this education that tell us how, what we can do and how we can treat it, and they don't realise what they're actually saying and the devastation. I shared with you um, before we started a little story I had with a lady, and I the skin was like a skin type four, bordering of five. But, you know, there was a lot of prepping leading up to the treatments that you do. And I love the fact that you talk about that because I think we have to understand that we can't just go straight in and treat any skin, whether it's yeah. a skin type one or a skin type, you know, five or six. We can't just go in and treat them without giving them time to become healthy enough to be able to cope with what we're doing to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's really, I love that, that you said that. So what are some of the limitations that you see with um, some of the treatments and things that uh, you've talked about needling, you've talked about IPL, uh, what other things have you seen that are absolute careful, be careful of this or treat mm -hmm. carefully or we could go ahead and do that? Sure. So needling is my, I, I have a big tick next to that. Needling, absolutely, but prep the skin beforehand. Yeah. Um, chemical peels, I've mentioned a few, salicylic acid is absolutely fine. But I think when, when, whenever you are looking to treat a, a higher phototype, prep them. Like when in doubt, just prep. 
Get, and, that, and that should be with every skin, really. You know, you want the skin in the best condition possible so that it responds the way you expect it to and it, and it heals fast as well. So um, needling, yes. I mentioned um, uh, ND YAG, so 1064 nanometer laser, yes. I'm very cautious of other laser therapies, mainly because of the heat that can cause PIH, but then you can also run the risk of causing hypopigmentation as well, right? So, you know, with, uh, I'd be careful, you know, using other lasers um, on a higher, a higher phototype. IPL out. <laughs> because, yeah. Or mainly because, I mean, when what the target is, is the, the chromophore is pigment, right? And so you will definitely have a much greater risk of, of hyperpigmentation the higher the phototype. Yes. Yeah. So I would definitely, um, yeah definitely rule that out. I mean, I, when the, when this gentleman said he could, he could use an IPL on a phototype six, I just walked away, shook my head and walked away. Like you've got, you, you can't be serious. Um, so wouldn't do that. Um, infrared. So I'm thinking of near infrared. So your, your LED, LED light is, is um, okay for a, a dark skin. Um, what does it, what else, what else do we do? Increasing circulation. Sorry? Increasing circulation. Like just making sure that we've got really healthy blood supply mm. looking at the immune system as well is something I always look at. Yeah. So yeah, and, and that would be that would be part of your prepping, wouldn't it? You would you yeah, would sort absolutely. of get that all ready and tip top before you actually brought them in to do treatments. But um I I have a, a young lady that came in with quite bad acne and I just did salicylic acid peels on her, gave her some home care, and we've just done a course of needling and her skin looks incredible. But she said to me, you know, I, it's so it's so amazing that I found you because she'd been to, like you said before, she'd been to a doctor who had no idea what to do with her skin. So when she came to see me, it was quite sensitized and highly inflamed and pig, highly pigmented as well. And her skin looks amazing. So what I would love is to have more therapists take on, you know, the, the interest to treat higher phototypes and become become experts at it just so that more people will feel confident to, to come to therapists in the industry for all of their skin needs. Absolutely. And they need to do your nutritional classes to understand what's going on in terms of, <laughs> Absolutely. That, always happy to always happy to, to play my, my part in that. Yes. So why can you tell us or share with us why um, higher skin or darker skin Fitzpatrick types are more prone to post-inflammatory and you know melasma or cholesterol. Mm, yeah well I think I think it it has to do with the fact that we have a greater number of melanosomes so we, we talk about everybody regardless of your, of your skin color have the same number of melanocytes or the, the cells that produce the pigment but it's the packages that are produced by the melanocyte the melanocyte that varies and so when when we have UV exposure, for example, causing inflammation in the skin. We know that the keratinocytes release signals that travel down to the melanocyte. And the signals are basically telling the melanocyte to produce pigment because they're getting burnt or you know, they're, they're getting um, inflamed up on the surface. So the melanocyte produces pigment and it shoots it up into the keratinocyte where it sits over the nucleus. So the pigment that it shoots up into the keratinocyte is usually packaged. In a Caucasian skin, it's, it's surrounded by a membrane. And what we know is that these little pigment patches 
are just a, a lot more disparate than what you'd find in a dark skin where you've got these single packages of pigment that are densely filled with pigment. And I like to describe them as being almost like a, a black jelly bean. And so when you've got these dense concentrations of pigment compared to the really sort of salt and pepper distribution in a Caucasian skin, you can imagine when these um, pigment packages sit over the nucleus in a Caucasian skin, I liken it to having an umbrella open on a rainy day that has holes in it. Even though you've got the umbrella up, the rain's still coming through. So think of the sun's rays still coming through and hitting the nucleus and causing mutation. In a darker skin, it sits over the nucleus and it absorbs UV rays. So you obviously have better protection um, in a darker individual. But that same response happens whenever there's trauma. So if, an, uh, if there is maybe um, a, a cut or some kind of trauma that that darker skin has experienced as part of that, in, um, that inflammation response, the melanocyte is activated. And because we have so many more of these pigment packages, you have a greater stimulation of pigment, which shows up as the discoloration. So I think um, to answer your question, the reason why you have um, a much darker concentration in the form of say melasma, cloasma, PIH in a darker skin has got to do with the, the concentration of pigment in the darker skin. So there's a greater amount of pigment, it therefore shows up. And what's really interesting is if I were to maybe cut myself, um, you'd see it quite inflamed and you'd see the redness and the pigment doesn't appear immediately. As the wound heals, you then start to see the pigment. And so when we think of the three phases of wound healing, the inflammatory phase, which is the first phase where all the cells are recruited to come in and you know clean up all the debris. Before the next phase, which is the, um, what's this phase? So the inflammatory stage, and then you have the, is it the proliferative phase? Yes. This is where collagen, et cetera, is laid down. It's only when you get to the remodeling stage that you really start to see the pigment. So the pigment can be at bay for a little while. You might not see it for say three weeks up to a month, and then you start to see the darkening. And so when it comes to treatment, same thing. If you don't prep the skin beforehand, you've done the treatment. She then comes back to see you three weeks after the treatment to complain about the pigment that's now appeared, even though the skin has healed. So the fact that we have a lot more pigment being produced by these melanocytes, I think is associated with how much more severe it looks in those higher phototypes, yeah. Absolutely. Look, I'm just gonna tell the people that are listening to this podcast, I, will, I have the privilege of being able to see Chisa while she's speaking and the story telling, the way she's describing <laughs> this and the way she's using her hands is incredible. I really, We really should have you visually doing that because it's amazing the picture that you actually painted and you do it so beautifully and so well and amazing. Thank you, Chisa. Pleasure, um, love. How blessed am I to have you all to myself for that? <laughs> Um, you know, neglect is a big thing when it comes to treating darker skins. People get really scared of treating them. They either don't treat them or they do treat them. And when they treat them and they don't fully understand it, they can do treatments that we've already talked about already that creates this post-inflammatory pigmentation that is not easy and doesn't go away for a long, long, long time, if it ever really does go away. So 
what are the things that we need to set? We know IPL, we know um, creating heat using other modalities like lasers and things like that. We just have to be so careful with the darker the skin, the more risks that we take when we use those modalities. What are other risks that you have seen where skins have been overtreated? But even, even microdermabrasion, microdermabrasion. You know, you think, okay, well, you don't need to prep the skin, it's just micro. But I've seen some therapists almost look like they're performing surgery, the way they're moving that, that diamond-tipped head over that skin. And the skin is actually abraded by the time they're finished, right? But because they think it's only a micro, they're not really thinking that it can be a problem. But then, like I said, three weeks later, you've got this person with scratched up skin that is then um, hyperpigmented as well. So what I would say, and I, and Gaya, I think also that the reason why therapists are not confident is because we weren't taught it. A lot of these industry or these companies that sell these devices are not, they're not across how to treat dark skin. So it's never mentioned or they think that, you know, it's a one size fits all proposition. Everyone can have this treatment. And when they're referring to everybody, they're not really including dark skins in there. So the therapist thinks it's everybody, right? Um, and so, yeah, they, they go ahead and treat the darker skins as they would someone who has a fairer skin, not really thinking or not really understanding that any kind of inflammation is going to definitely trigger PIH. So it's about, first of all, looking at what, the benefit that you're wanting to derive from the treatment is, looking at the, the depth that that treatment is going to go to, looking at what is going to be activated as a result of the treatment. For example, a lactic acid peel is a beautiful peel to, to do on a higher phototype because it's hydrating, it gently exfoliates, it has an anti-inflammatory component, but it works on the very, very top layers of the skin surface. So that's, that's a nice little introductory treatment to do for someone or enzymes. Uh, there's nothing worse than someone walking into a clinic looking for help with their skin and being told by the therapist, oh, no, no, I don't treat dark skin. Or, oh, no, 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 I, I, I can't treat you. Um, I, I told the story of, um, I belong to quite a few groups on, on Facebook and a young American beauty therapist, a student had invited her friend to come in for, you know, the free clinic treatments that we would often have in clinic or, you know, paying a very small price. And her friend happened to be um, a young black girl. And this white girl had invited her in. And so she rocks up and the teacher turned around and said, oh, we can't treat you. We don't have any, any we, we don't have any treatment that we can do on you. So being told that in front of everybody and then sort of humiliated because you can't have a treatment, even though this white girl knew that she could and was horrified that her teacher was saying this, you've got that just lack of, of understanding or, or knowledge. And for a teacher to not know is unacceptable. I think that's inexcusable. And so for that reason, I actually created a course called a little workshop called um, Managing Hyperpigmentation Risks in Ethnic Skin, I called it. Oh, but I, I've just, and I, I actually ran it for the Americans on the group, right? But I've changed it to Managing um, Hyperpigmentation Risks in Phototypes 5 and 6. And my course talks about the sorts of treatments that you can do safely just so you can become more confident. I think as a therapist, we want to continue to grow, right? We want to ex expand our knowledge base. And it shouldn't just be in the modalities that we offer. It should also be in the kinds of treatments we do and that we offer to everybody. 
Australia's a big melting pot now, isn't it? You know, we're seeing more and more people that are non-Caucasian. And so we should be able to have the same treatments or similar treatments or have our concerns addressed. Absolutely. I mean, usually we often see a skin that is of a lighter skin colour. Then mm. genetically, they've got those darker um, pigments that are there. So I think, you know, in consultations and things like that, we really do need to understand that and we really do need to cover that off. And I find, you know, with a lot of people that don't understand those risk factors, no. they don't no. even consider that. No. But even yeah. with, a, with an Asian skin that is fair, and this is a classic example where an Asian skin person can come into a clinic and she might look like she's a phototype two. So the therapist thinks, okay, well, she's a phototype two, so I can do everything on her, not realising that if that Asian skin person was out in the sun, she would darken significantly, right? So even if someone appears to be a phototype one or two called um, Asian skin, I always treat them like a four and prep the skin accordingly before I do any kind of treatment on them. So where can people go to, to do that course? Can they still do that course? Yeah, it's actually coming up. I've got that. Um, I'm running it again next month. So I think June the June the 7th, I think it is. June the 7th, everybody yeah. write that down. But yeah, but if they if they just reach out to me, then um I'll 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 tell them when it is. Let me just have a quick look. Yes, June the 7th. Beautiful. Yeah. So that would and be if, a really good course. I think anyone that's treating any skins, whether you know, regardless of whether a skin type one through to a skin type six, they need to listen to that and do that course. Yeah, yeah like, well, it's, well, especially if they want to expand their knowledge and and understand the differences between a, a how to treat a higher phototype versus a um, you know a lower. Yeah. Which is what you mentioned earlier on is that no one is actually teaching people how to treat. Mm. Um, higher phototype skins no one's teaching them we've got rf we've got radio frequency my gosh we've got all these different modalities now that we're working with and you really do and again the risk factor that we just spoke about a minute ago you really do need to understand all of that absolutely well even with rf heating the skin oh, heating the gosh. skin you then have you know pih risk as well so there's there's a lot to unpack but i know that we only have a limited amount of time so Chisa, I just want to move away from that and thank you so much for, for giving us all of that information. It's just amazing. But I know, I know that you've developed <laughs> this amazing product for gut, you know, the diet, diet, diet um, system that you've got. Can you tell us about that, please? I certainly can. And thanks for asking, Gay. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually, I have two products. I've got, uh, I know that no one can see it, but you can, Gay. Yes, so I've, I've got an elixir and the brand is called Flora Biome by Chisa Westcar. And I chose the name Flora Biome because when you think of it, we are covered in microbial flora. Inside, on us, scalp, underarms, everywhere is covered in microbial colonies. And anyone who knows me knows that I'm absolutely passionate about gut health. I personally believe that all of the skin conditions that we see have a gut link or a gut association. And even though I run the Nutritional Skin Care Academy, I also work in clinic as a dermal clinician. And I see a lot of clients who come in with these inflammatory skin conditions. And when we start to unpack what's going on with them, a lot of them have poor diets or they drink a lot, for example, 
or they're under a lot of stress. Now, you and I both, you and I um, both love talking about stress yes. and the impact of stress on the skin, right? And it's interesting, right? Because a lot of these conditions are exacerbated by stress. But what happens with the stress response, you would, you know, we were talking about um, you know, the kinds of people that we see who come in with maybe PIH and, and cloasma, et cetera. The stress response can also cause pigment, hyperpigmentation. But what it does is it switches off all of the body's non-essential functions. And one of them is digestion. Digestion is considered non-essential when you are in that stress response. And so what I tend to find is that a lot of the clients that I see have very poor digestion. And so I have produced a tea called Digest. And it's a beautiful tea, it's a herbal tea. And it has ingredients like linden and licorice and dandelion. There is hibiscus. There is blueberry. Well, a family of blueberries. It's called a bilberry, but it looks like a blueberry, tiny little miniature one. And I've chosen these ingredients because they work on the stress response, but they also stimulate digestion. It's a burgundy colored tea. It, it's beautiful, hot or cold. And the way that I imagined it was that when a client comes out of a treatment, she can sit down and have a warming cup of tea. So for therapists, these are both therapist-only products. So you can sort of, you know, have a little pot of tea waiting for her. When she comes in, you greet her with that or when she finishes her treatment. But it's something that the client can then buy and have at home. And the ritual of having this cup of tea is you giving permission to yourself to just stop and move into that rest and digest mode, which is the parasympathetic. So it basically helps to take you out of that stress response into the parasympathetic response where digestion is enabled. So you've got the act of stopping and drinking, but you've also got the ingredients that help with digestion. And then the elixir called Calm is for all of those women that come home and pour themselves a glass of wine every single night, every single night right and it, it's a habit right and it, but it's also her one little pleasure that she does for herself but as we know with people with inflammatory skin conditions alcohol can be the driver of flare-ups my women are not going to stop drinking for love nor money but then when I give them calm served in a champagne flute Topped with, topped with sparkling water so that it actually looks like a cocktail and they sip it, everyone says, oh, my God, it tastes, it tastes like it could be a cocktail. And them having this of an evening instead of their alcoholic beverage, I tell you, their sleep improves. I had a Scottish lady who said to me that she'd been drinking since, since she was 13, very, very bad psoriasis on her legs. We got her off her alcohol during the week onto this. She was having some light therapy. We manage the psoriasis. So I guess, and, and the drink is fermented. So it's a biofermented elixir, but it has ingredients like passion flower and ashwagandha and lemon balm and very anti-stress type ingredients that really manage that stress response. So they're the two, they're the two that I'm starting with. And I've, I've sort of started with these two because I see a very important need for replacing alcohol, but I also see digestion needing to be impacted. So 
yes, there, you've got pre, pro and postbiotics in this. And the tea is really just about helping to stimulate digestion. So yeah, they're my products. Wonderful. So are they, are they products just for people to use in clinic or can no, they no, no, no. how long to for home? No, no, no. These are these are for them to sell to their to their um, their clients. But right. in, in clinic they can, you know, sort of make up a beverage for the client. Absolutely. So how do we go about ordering this? Well, launch date is the 7th of June. And or if they can just send me an email if they if they want to learn more about them. So they can reach out to you, Gay, and you can give them my email or I can give them my email, which is info at flora, F-L-O-R-A dash biome, B-I-O-M-E dot com. Can you say that again? Sure. Info at flora biome. So info at flora dash biome dot com dot com. It's not dot au dot com. Mm. I just am such... In that chisa, and I think um, you developing that is incredible. And um, yeah, I think we need to have these tools. If well, we the reason can I just quickly say, Gay, sorry to interrupt you, my love, sorry to interrupt you. I wanted it to be practitioner only, I wanted it to be something that was for our industry. I've seen some brands that have sort of come into the industry, right? Infiltrate, you know, sort of be there for a bit and then decide that, no, you can't have it because you're not, you're not making enough money, right? So therefore taking the products away from the clients and from the therapists. And these therapists are then contacting me saying, can you recommend something? And because I have the same kinds of clients as everybody else, I knew what I had to do. So, yeah, I just had to jump in and say that. Sorry. <laughs> All I can say is thank you. Thank you but, for that. Oh, my and pleasure. And I'm certainly going to be ordering some of that because it, it just goes with um, the philosophy. You can't treat the skin without treating internally. Inside, no. So no. thank you for developing that. Thank you, Gay. Yeah, Chisa, I could I could go on for another hour listening to you. Another two Same. hours, three, Same. four. <laughs> you're, you're amazing. You're amazing. And seriously... If you haven't done any of Chisa's courses, you really do need to go and log in, register for all her courses that are coming up because you will learn so much and it's going to take your business from being you a, a, a D clinic to a triple A clinic, I tell you, when you put it all into practice. Simply thank amazing. You, thank simply you. amazing, Chisa. Um, thank you for your time. Your My absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. I was very, very touched and honoured when I got my invitation. So thank you. Website is the which website. one? <laughs> which one? Oh, I know. So, <laughs> I know. Which one is? So for the academy, it's it's um, www.nutritionalskincareacademy.com. On Instagram, it's the Nutritional Skincare Academy. On Facebook, it's uh, Nutritional Skincare Academy. Beautiful. And those products are launching on the seventh of June. June. So yes. we can order those into clinics. Yes. 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 And um, is it okay to ask how much we're retailing? Well, I was hoping you wouldn't ask because. Okay, sorry. No, no, that's okay because just after you, I have my meeting with my marketing person okay. and we're just finalizing all of that. Sure. But I'll then have a price list ready to send out. Beautiful. So okay. coming, coming soon. We're all going to look for that. Please, um, oh. please share so that we can share that across. I will. Thank you, yeah. beautiful Chisa. My absolute pleasure. It was fun. It was really fun. You are amazing. <laughs> Likewise, gay.